He knows everything that has been, is, and will be. Okay. So we can talk about it in terms of temporal categories, the past, the present, and the future. Anything else? It says he knows us before we were created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he knows us. I think of uh, he's talking about when he's selecting David as king. He's like, man looks the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. So mm-hmm. he can see inside right. us too. Right. He doesn't just see the outward, but he actually sees the inward part of us. He sees our thoughts. So, yeah, those are those are some good uh, ways to look at specifically what God knows. Um, so let's let's look at a few of these and see what Scripture says, because Scripture addresses uh, these various things. Um, God knows the actions of mankind. Uh, Psalm 33. Uh, verses 13 through 15 it says the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man of man from where he sits enthroned he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds so from God's vantage point how much of the inhabitants of the earth can he see According to this passage, all, all of them, yeah, it's every bit of them. There's none of them that's like, oh, well, yeah, they're around on the other side of the globe, so can't see them right now. Doesn't work that way. Um, do any of their deeds escape his notice? I can't go, you know, go into a room, close the door, and hide away from God and not be seen in what they're doing. He observes all their deeds. And how detailed is God's knowledge of us? Perfectly detailed. What's that? Perfect. Perfect? Uh huh, yeah. He knows everything. He knows everything. Um, a uh, classic passage there, Matthew 10 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So even something as insignificant as how many hairs you have on your head. That's all a part of God's knowledge. And, and he knows us perfectly. He doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not some bias or opinion. Mm-hmm. That's right. All of God's knowledge of us is completely accurate. He doesn't have any misconceptions about us. It is perfect knowledge. That is a good point. Um, and we've already answered this, but is God's knowledge of mankind limited to their physical bodies and their deeds? No. Right. Uh, God knows man's thoughts. Um, Isaiah 66:18 says, "For I know their works and their thoughts." And then um, I think this was actually uh, alluded to uh, when we, when I asked earlier, 1 Samuel 16:7. But the Lord said to Samuel, and here this is this is when Samuel is going to anoint David uh, as uh, the next king of Israel, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, as actually referring to David's older brother, uh, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So there we see very clearly, it's like, that's, that's, the, that's the distinction, right, between the way that man knows things and the way that God knows things. Um, 
God can see to our very hearts. He knows who we are intimately. A particularly famous passage in this respect is Psalm 139. Um, verses 1 through 6 specifically um, deal with the omniscience of God. Um, I'm sure you're very familiar with this passage. Um, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1, uh, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So how extensive does David say that God's knowledge of him is? Perfect and complete in every way. Perfect and complete in every way. Um, when we consider the concepts of past, present, and future, what do we learn about God's knowledge in this psalm? And that was something that we talked about. You know, God's knowledge of the past, present, and future. How does how does David uh, address that here in this psalm? Even before word is on that tongue. Yeah. So even something where um, David is making this this free will choice to say something, um, and you know, it's like if Ben's going to say something, I don't necessarily know what he's going to say. I mean, I, if I know him really well, maybe I might be able to guess to some degree, but um, there's always a possibility he'll surprise me. But when it comes to God's knowledge of who we are and what we will do, um, he knows exactly what we will say before we say it. Just a complete, exhaustive, perfect knowledge of us, our inmost thoughts, and our future actions. So that's pretty comprehensive, right? Um, what about uh, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10? Um, it says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, we're going to look more closely at the sovereignty of God in the future, which is definitely addressed in this passage. Um, but what does this say about God's knowledge of the future? What, what, can we, what can we discern from this passage about that? Well, he doesn't just know the future. He, his purposes actually are accomplished. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's, that's more intentional than just uh, a knowledge Right. So is there any possibility that anything that God plans for the future will somehow not happen because his knowledge of what would happen is imperfect? No. That would that would that would make this passage be nonsense, right? 
his knowledge of all future events is complete and absolute. And he can tell you what's going to happen in the end right from the beginning with no chance of error because he knows it all. Also, <coughs> it's kind of mentioned here too, it's, he declares it, mm -hmm. and that part of that goes to the fact that he's um, making it so. But also, he does declare it in his word. He talked, there are the prophets who declare his word. He proves the fact that he yes. knows the future Yes. Um, before it ever happens. Yeah. Does anybody know the context of this, this whole section in the, in the 40s of Isaiah? This is often called the trial of the false gods. This is where you have over and over again a contrast made between the true and living God and the false gods of the nations uh, who don't know, who can't see, who can't hear, who can't act. Um, they can't declare the, the, the future things before they come to pass. And God says, I demonstrate that I am the true God because I can tell you everything. I can tell you the end from the beginning. So it's a, it's a great statement of, of who God is in distinction from all the, the false notions of who God is that various people have. So this is pretty exhaustive, right? I mean, you know, I mean, we do kind of cover just the beginning. It's like God knows all things, yeah. But you know, we can we can delve into it and we can look at the specifics. Um, but there's also some passages in Scripture that can can cause us some difficulties. So how do we explain passages like this? We have uh, Genesis uh, chapter 22, uh, verses 10 through 12, and this is where uh, Abraham has been told to take his son and go sacrifice him. Um, and of course, once he begins to do it, then God stops him. Um, and they sacrifice a ram instead. But it's interesting the way that it's worded here. Starting in verse 10, it says, <clears throat> Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, if, if God is saying, Okay, now, now that you've done this, now I know that you're really faithful to me. How do we understand that in light of what we've said about God knowing all things? Is that a contradiction in the Bible? Mm -hmm. Is that a really hard one? Well, think, think about what Ben said about, you know, God not only knows all things about the future and he accomplishes his purposes, but he... Uh, demonstrates that through the prophets mm -hmm. as well and you know as, as you look at this it doesn't mean that God doesn't know this mm -hmm. but there's a sense of him knowing and him showing us and mm -hmm. bringing us along in that right. process to see and that 
it seems to be the purpose that he has here mm-hmm. that you know it's not so much for him like right. all of a sudden he came to that realization as much as for Abraham to see right that right yeah well. it is, is very much hard to say also I think Abraham kind of knew that God had plans whether him and Isaac would return I mean he tells a servant to stay here you know and then I and the boy will go worship and come again to you uh-huh. so in a sense we get an idea that either Abraham knows that either God has some other provision or you know something's going to happen but some way this, his son's coming back with him Yeah. so either he maybe he has an idea of the raising him up again I don't know or, yeah. or maybe it, he has an idea of it's actually explicit in the New Testament and the exact address escapes me but um, but it does say that um, you know that Abraham reasoned that God is able to raise the dead, yeah. um, specifically referring to this instance. So um, because the the fact is Abraham had the promise from God that your your descendants are going to be reckoned through Isaac. Um, so Abraham knew it's like okay, this is the son through whom I'm going to have all of these descendants. And now God's telling me to go kill him. Well, God's able to raise the dead. That that must be the explanation. So, so yeah. I mean, Abraham was was justified in doing this. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I go murder. You know, um, he trusted God in this circumstance. Um, but it was, I think, like you said, a, a demonstration. And it was a demonstration to Abraham, but it was also a demonstration to us. I mean, this is something that's recorded for us to see. Um, that Abraham didn't just claim to have faith, but he actually did have faith, and he put that into action. That's very much the, the argument you see in the book of James, um, that uh, Abraham demonstrated his faith by the things that he did. But it is somewhat strange uh, that it's worded in the way that's like, oh, well, now I know. Um, but I know that we talked before about um, kind of a, a an anthropomorphic uh, description of God and some of the other things that we've talked about. Um, and I think that that is just it's just the word the language is trying to express something about you know about God that he's he's basically that he's testing Abraham to show his faith, not that God didn't know beforehand. Um, you see many instances of, um, for example, when um, there are a group of people who are rebelling against God. God comes down to see if the things that he hears are so. You get that with Sodom and Gomorrah. You get that with the Tower of Babel. Um, God comes down to see if they're really doing what's you know what's being said. But I. Again, I think that's just language of basically you have the sovereign ruler. He's he's going to come and check out what's going on. It's not any kind of notion that God doesn't know when he's in heaven what's going on. And it's not the case that he didn't know what Abraham was going to do and is like, oh, okay, now, now I see what you're doing, Abraham. Um, but, um, but it's just a way of speaking to help us grasp things. Is that... Is clear? Any questions about that? Well, 
Um, the doctrine of the omniscience of God is definitely uh, something that has has been challenged throughout history, um, and it's something that um, in recent decades has been challenged quite a bit. Um, there's a movement called open theism. I don't know how many of you have heard of open theism, um, but it is a movement that is out there, um, and it basically has the idea that that God doesn't know the future, that he has a kind of a limited view of the future, that he knows the way his physical creation works, and he can, you know, he can determine, you know, what things are going to happen just in the, the physical motion of things, but the thing that he can't, he can't really see is what choices people are going to make. And so he just has to kind of wait and see, and so he does the best he can with that. What do you guys think about that? Have anybody encountered that? Thought about that? Great. Sounds like they're trying to solve one problem and creating okay. another. Okay. Because as you were describing it, I'm thinking, okay, what problem, what supposed mm-hmm. problem are they trying to solve? And then they just run into right. an even bigger one. Right. And just run into a heresy, right. essentially. So what problem are they trying to solve? I'm trying to think. Would be the problem of evil. It would be the problem of evil, right? Because what what is the problem of evil? Can you summarize that? Well, just that God would know that there's evil happening and He doesn't do anything about that, mm-hmm. and they think right. that puts God in a, a bind somehow. And right. So they're trying to sort of come to His rescue and say, mm-hmm. well, if God is this way, then He's sort of off the hook. Mm-hmm. He's not responsible exactly. for that. Yeah. The way that the way the problem of evil is classically formulated is, well, if God um, is, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, so he's, he's, he's got the, the ability to stop evil from happening, and he's good, so he has the, motiv- the motive to stop evil from happening, but then evil happens. So that can't be. We've got, we've got a problem in our definition of God. So basically either he's got to not have the power to do anything about it, or he's got to be just evil and not care, right? That's that's the way it's classically formulated, um, and you know it's it's a, I mean it is an important discussion, and um, ultimately, I, I mean just to give you a quick biblical answer is that we don't see all the the purposes of God, we don't know all His ways, and um, God allows evil for His good purposes, and. Um, Working out exactly how that is is something that's very hard for us to do from our limited perspective. But the open theist attempts to deal with the problem basically by saying God can't do anything about it, um, and that it's like, well, he's got he's got lots of power, and he would do something if he could, but it's like he just can't keep up with everything because he doesn't know what people are going to do. Um, and you know that has a certain appeal. Um, I have read some of the people that have expressed this, and um, one of the things that, that you see is is kind of this idea that was like, well, God God basically suffers with you. He he weeps with you. He's shocked and appalled at evil with you. He's um, you know he's just as devastated by the tragedy that came to you as you are. And so it's very much a like he can really relate to you, and that's that's an appeal to the system. Um, but the thing is, is that I don't see how it gives anybody any comfort, because it basically just means that God's just completely out of control, 
and all of reality is just I mean we're just at the mercy of all the evil actions of mankind that sounds like a terrifying world to live in um, and on top of that it's just not biblical I mean as we've talked about here God knows all things we're going we're gonna to talk about the fact that God is all powerful he has control of all things we're going to talk about the fact that he's sovereign that he is basically just determining everything it's all going according to his plan all of these things are very biblical and they're very comforting um, but the um, the open theism they, they they do. They try to solve one problem, and they wind up just getting themselves in a big mess. Um, but it is a, a movement that is out there, um, and it is it is very popular. Do you see anything on how they would, since they can't see the evil that's going to happen in the future, what about the cross? Surely the murderer is an innocent rabbi. Did God not see that? How could that be predicted? You have prophecies. I mean, how do they... I think... How do they deal with that? I, I mean, I don't know specifically, but I would think that typically um, they they would... An open theist would be, like, supportive of the idea that God planned the cross. You know, I mean, I guess there, you know, there's always a possibility that it wouldn't go his way and that you know, Jesus wouldn't get crucified. But, you know, basically that, that, was, that was planned and that was, you know, God's solution for the problem of evil, you know. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think for them it would have been like, oh, yeah, I wasn't expecting Jesus to get crucified. I think they would say that that's an area where, you know, God made a gamble, you know, that it would work out, and it did. So, I don't know if that answers your question. I, I get it. It just seems like they're... But, I mean, there's... these evil events coming, but you saw that. It's, yeah. It's, it's like picking and choosing... Well, for your convenience. I, I mean, I think the idea is, is, that, is that he's really good at predicting, but there's always the possibility that somebody will throw him off with some free will decision. Because he only, he's only so good at predicting, you know, what people do with their free will decisions. So, um, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very scary world to live in. And it just completely destroys all predictive prophecy. You know, I mean, that just... Prophecy becomes, you know, God making his best guess, and I mean, statistically speaking, he would be wrong, you know, some percentage of the time, because sometimes somebody would do something that he just didn't expect. Well, uh, and um, and as you said, it's, it's not really biblical. We, we a couple of the passages we've already gone over, Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. He knows my words before I've even said them, mm -hmm. and yeah. that's making a choice right there, yes. a decision as to what to say. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, uh, the First Samuel passage where man looks at the outward appearance, God sees the heart. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how the scriptures describe the heart, that's uh, the inward being. That's where we make decisions about good and evil, and where we are, yeah, yeah, where we all that stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. The 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 open theist usually doesn't. Um, rely a whole lot on biblical exegesis for their position. It is more of a, they have a problem to solve and they appeal to emotion. Because, um, yeah, if you, if you look at the texts, they, they just don't support the position. Yeah, they really have to struggle when Joseph talks to his brothers uh -huh. yeah. about how they meant it for evil and God meant it for yeah. You know, and yeah. how do yeah. you... Uh, <laughs> you, have, you have the very act of, of yeah. Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery and it's an act that God had intentionality in 
it wasn't just the the free act of you know Joseph's brothers. It was it was something that God meant this. Um, so God is God is behind it ultimately. Well, Chris, I know James White has debated with open theists mm-hmm. and stuff. So if someone's interested in knowing more, yes. they could look up James White. That is, open theism and that, is a, look, that is a good point. Yeah. yeah, you can you can watch the two sides uh, go head to head, and it'll probably be pretty clear which side is more biblical. So, yes. All right. So, anything else on open theism? This one thing it makes me. It seems to me that you're taking away one of the attributes of God that makes him worthy of worship. Or open theism. If that's really true about God, why is He worthy of our worship? He's just morally better and more powerful and a bit smarter than us, but He's not the supreme being. Yeah. So you're sort of we have to push back to find the being behind this thing we call God or being because well, what that's not the supreme being clearly. So it creates a whole other why worship this guy. Yeah. Not all powerful, not all good, or not all knowing. I mean, take one way, it's not it's a fruitless enterprise. Yeah, that is a good point. Well, in what you were saying earlier about the emotional appeal of it, as far as God's shocked by you and he's grieving over it, there's a certain aspect where that's still true. That is true. He is, um, he still hates evil, and he's still grieved by it. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it in the scriptures. And, um, Jesus. Obviously, God and man. Mm-hmm. A little bit of distinction there, but um, he weeps mm-hmm. when Lazarus dies. He weeps for him and for his uh, sisters. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Um, to say that God knows all the future um, doesn't mean that God is not um, emotionally has no emotional um, reaction. To sin. Um, in fact, that we talked um, on a previous lesson about uh, when God brought the flood and He saw all the wickedness of mankind, and you know was grieved at the wickedness of mankind. And we talked about you know, as, well, does God regret? Because it says that, you know God regretted that He made mankind. And what we talked about there is that well, no, God doesn't. God doesn't actually regret. He doesn't say, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But it's more. Uh, something to express his emotional state of just being grieved and appalled at the sinfulness of mankind. Um, and so, yeah, we, we definitely, from the perspective of God knowing all things, um, there is still that emotional aspect there. Now, God is never shocked. He's, is, he's never caught by surprise the way we are. Um, but he does have a, a very settled and determined um, Grieving and hatred of sin and wickedness. So yeah, that is a very good point, Ben. So let's talk about um, some applications of God's omniscience. Um, the fact that God knows all things. What does that? What does that mean for us? Well, the world in which we live. It's sort of in a messed up state right now, you know, and things are changing ever quickly and, and things like that. And you could become very fearful or wondering about the future or things like that. So to know that uh, God is all-knowing combined with 
all that he is and his being, mm-hmm. you know, with his sovereignty and all these other things, that, that gives us great comfort uh-huh. uh, to know that we're not just left on this world to try to figure it out ourselves or to you know, protect ourselves, but, uh, but God is able to do that. So it yeah. gives us peace. That is that is very true. Um, it would be kind of scary if God didn't really know what was going on, yeah. but or what would happen. Yeah, you know things like that. I mean, we don't have to fear the future mm-hmm. because He knows the future. Yeah, yep, yeah. very true. Any other things? Well, knowing that He knows everything, but also that everything is going exactly as He planned. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it's where we look at chaos and all the evil and yet that's exactly how they planned it because yeah. yep. you got the power over it yeah. and we'll talk about that pretty expressly when we when we get to the sovereignty of God but it's definitely tied into the omniscience of God what other ways <coughs> does this have an impact on us Job um, running away from God right to uh, he, he knows he can't, but yet emotionally he's trying to do that. It's uh-huh. important for us to realize there is nothing we can hide from God. We mm-hmm. can't hide from God. Yeah. Um, really, all we can do is go to Him and repent from our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the one of the things I I had down is that uh, God knows all of our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrews four thirteen says, and no creature is hidden from His sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, very clear that um, we can't hide our sin from God. He knows it all. Um, And, I mean, just the very graphic language there is just like we're just exposed to God. And we're exposed to the God to whom we must give an account. We can't, when we're giving an account to God, we can't make any... You know, we can't hide anything. We can't keep anything from him. He knows it all. Um, so that's a that's a very important thing. A slightly scary thing. Uh, maybe not even slightly, but it's a scary thing. Uh, but thanks be to Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness through his blood. I think it's a scary thing for the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Because every single evil action, word, thought, whether or not they get away with it in this world, and Oftentimes they do, mm-hmm. and even some quite heinous things. Mm-hmm. In the end, okay, the justice system of your particular nation may have missed it for your entire life. But mm-hmm. nope, God got you. Right. It's, it's going to happen one day, and it will be a punishment that suits the crime. Mm-hmm. It will not be less than what is needed, and that won't be more. And mm-hmm. that's that's also scary. So there's no hiding. Yeah, the best place to hide is in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the only place to hide. Otherwise, you're going to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going along with that, for the Christian, that's a very comforting thing, because it's not that God's ever going to find out something about us that's going to change His mind. That is true. Um, he He know, He knows our evil and our sin better than we do. Yes. We're way worse than we think we are. Uh-huh. Even before we pray, uh, he knows all of our future sins, our past sins. Uh-huh. And, uh, and yet he said, we're forgiven. Yeah. We're in Christ. So. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's not going to say, okay, Ben, you're forgiven. It's like, oh, wait. 
you did that? Oh, uh, maybe not. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, and that, again, was another thing that I, um, that I had a, a passage here for. Um, uh, 1 John 3, 19 and 20. Um, it says, By this uh, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So, very much the case. God knows, God knows it all. He knows everything. And he's greater than our hearts, and we can, we can, you know, look at our own selves and say, oh, I don't, I know God said he forgave me, but man, I'm really bad. Um, God knows it all. He's not, he's not going to turn his back on us because he suddenly finds out something he didn't know before. God knows the sins we will commit after we're converted too. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just one up to that point. Yeah. And for everybody sitting in this room, when Christ went to the cross, none of us had none of us had personally committed any sin yet. And yet it was known when when Christ went to the cross, every sin that each of us would commit throughout our whole lives. And Christ still died for us. And there's, I kind of look at that as maybe a positive, negative. Uh-huh. In other words, God knows our sins, uh-huh. even though you know we may do it in secret or whatever. God knows our sins, but on the positive, positive, God knows when we're innocent too. Uh-huh. Just That's like true. Job, his friends were trying to condemn him. Uh-huh. God knew all along uh-huh. it wasn't because of sin. I put him in this situation. Right. Also, as you know, falsely accused. Sometimes people are falsely accused, whether it's within the church or, you know, in civil government or whatever. You have people that are actually innocent, mm-hmm. and yet everyone wants to make them guilty, and yet God still knows. So, mm-hmm. no matter what trial you're going through, you know that ultimately the one that really matters knows mm-hmm. whether you're, whether you're you know, yeah. innocent or yeah. whatever. And that's a very good point. Now, some of the stuff that, that Greg said also touched on this. And basically, um, the idea that God can be a perfectly just judge. Um, we look at human judges, um, and you know whether they're you know corrupt or whether they're upright. The fact is, their their knowledge is limited. They can never really know all the circumstances. They can never really know. Uh, what your heart attitude is, what your intentions are, what your thoughts are. Um, They can be deceived, they can misunderstand, and they can make a poor judgment because of those things. But God, he knows it all. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what your thoughts are. He knows exactly what your intentions are. And he can condemn those who should be condemned, and he can justify those who should be justified. Um, he is the perfect judge. Um, Job uh, 34, speaking of Job, um, Job 34, starting in verse 20, um, this is expressed with God's bringing judgment on the wicked. Um, And it says, in a moment they die, at midnight, the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. 
There is no gloom or deep darkness where the evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation. He sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. So there we see God bringing judgment on evildoers. And he knows everything they've done. He doesn't have to bring them in and interview them and try to piece together the circumstance. He's got it all. He, he knows exactly what they've done. They can't hide in the shadows and the gloom and the deep darkness and prevent him from seeing what they've done. He is able to be a perfectly just judge and bringing judgment on the wicked. Which is a, a great text for what you said earlier about the Tower of Babel mm-hmm. and other things, you know, where God comes down. Yep. It's not that he needed to right. do that. This exactly. Very clearly that is a very that. good point. I hadn't even thought about that. This, this specifically addresses yeah. those types of passages. Because yeah. Um, it's, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't need to do that. Uh-huh. He knows it all. He's, he's, he's got all the information uh, to be a perfectly just judge. Anything else? Obviously, with, we, we touched on with open theism, but you can trust the predictive prophecy mm-hmm. um, because that only works if you have 100% knowledge of all mm-hmm. things past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. If there's even one iota of wrong information, that equation is turn completely off. Mm-hmm. So you can trust that those things would, when they were predicted that were going to happen the way they were predicted, and things still predicted will happen the way they're predicted. There's not a 0.1% chance it's mm-hmm. going to not work out. Right. You know, the odds makers are wrong here type thing. It's, you right. know, it's, there's no, the odds maker, the odds are one to one. Right. One, you know, it will happen. Yes. It will, it's one, it is one. It's not mm-hmm. 0.99999, it's one. It, it will happen. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great comfort to us, right? When when we look at the promises of God and he says, this is what I'm going to do. Like, oh, he knows exactly what he's going to do. There's 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 not going to be some chance he's like, well, that's what I really intended, but then some unforeseen circumstance popped up. It doesn't work that way. Well, and, and even with things he hasn't specifically promised, <laughs> you know, just as we need wisdom and guidance in life, and there's maybe not a specific verse, we could still come to him and pray. I just think about David and the number of times before a battle or some decision, he would inquire of the Lord, you know, as to what he wanted. And the one that struck me that I read recently is, I think it was Ziklag, when when David returned from battle, uh, the the town where he was, all of his wives and his men, you know, his mighty men, all their families were had been attacked and carried off. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a no-brainer. I would just go after them. Right. But David took the time to inquire of the Lord, should I pursue them and, right. and overtake them? And it just reminded me of how humble we should approach the Lord, that mm-hmm. in His wisdom, mm-hmm. because He is all-knowing, mm-hmm. we can come to Him and things that may just, we think we know the answer, but still we ought to be dependent on that mm-hmm. all-knowingness of God. Yeah. But. For sure. For sure. And related to that, um, there's a passage of Scripture that specifically talks about God's knowledge and our prayer, um, he knows what we need before we ask, right? Yeah. So um, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, 
He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when we're coming and um, bringing our requests to God, it's not like, oh, really? You need that? I didn't didn't think of that. Um, God knows everything we need before we ask. Um, which, I mean, that's really comforting because sometimes what we ask and what we need aren't exactly the same thing. So um, God knows better than we do um, what we need. So that is a that is a comfort in prayer. Anything else? We definitely cannot move on to another attribute this morning, so I, I appreciate all the good discussion. We, we, um, I like that. All right. So I, we will most likely, unless I change my mind, be uh, starting with omnipresence next week. So anyway, let's uh, let's close. <laughs> Heavenly Father. Uh, we are just so thankful uh, for who you are, and we praise you for who you are. And um, you are worthy of worship because of all of your great attributes, your perfections. Lord, we thank you that you you know everything. You know you know us. You know our thoughts. You know our actions. Lord, you are in control of it all. Uh, we need never fear. Uh, you are the sovereign master of the whole world. And Lord, we need never fear that you will see something in us that you hadn't seen before and will turn your back on us. You will be faithful to us. You know us inside and out to the very day of our death. And Lord, I just pray that we would uh, live in light of this reality, that we would uh, know very much that you are with us and that you see everything uh, both of what we do and the uncertainties for us for future events around us Lord that none of it is a mystery to you and Lord I just pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and just continue to praise you for who you are and pray these things in Christ's name Amen.